Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile work environment. Welcome to the hostile work environment with Mark and Dennis. I'm Dennis. And I am Mark. Hey, Mark. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Hey, we're doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Um, where are we? Our <laughs> listeners may want to know, like, physically on Earth, where are we right, right So we now? are on Earth. We are on That's Earth. That's a good place to start. Yeah. And we are in the United States of America. Also good. We're in the state of Oregon. 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 The yeah. Beaver State. The Beaver State. And we are in the city of Portland. Excellent. Also known as Stumptown. Yeah, we were just having a talk about this before we went on about how Portland has many nicknames and one of them is Stumptown. How did Portland get the nickname Stumptown? So as, as a non-native Oregonian, I probably have a little less insight into this than Dennis, who is who is a native Oregonian. Almost. Almost a native Oregonian. I moved to the state of Oregon when I was three days old. I think that counts. It counts for me. I have a Washington birth certificate. Fascinating. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I ever knew really? that actually. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we were talking about so when when Portland was founded, an interesting story along those lines. You know how Portland got its name? Yeah, it was a coin toss. A coin toss between Portland and Boston, the two two city founders who were flipping the yeah. coin. Uh, one wanted to name it after his hometown Boston, the other one after his hometown Portland, Maine. Yeah. So Portland, Oregon, actually larger now than Port- Portland, Maine in population, right, is actually named after Portland, Maine. Right. We could have been Boston, Oregon, and that would be really confusing that be, today. That would be weird because we're almost as big as like Boston, Boston, Massachusetts, but we're like way bigger than Portland, Maine. So when you say Portland in a vacuum, most people think Oregon. At least, at least we like to think so, being from here. Right. So anyway, um, so anyway. Por- Portland's also called Stumptown. Stumptown. And it's pretty straightforward, actually. So when, you know, we have forests here, a lot of them. Lots I've of seen trees. one or two, yeah. <laughs> the, the verdant northwest, right? Yeah. And they had to clear cut the town, the area that the town was going to be in when they founded it. And it was just full of tree stumps for years and years. Wow. And Hence. so it got the name of Stumptown. Stumptown. Cool. And now that moniker is put on many things around town, many things. including, including uh, you might have heard of Stumptown Coffee. A was, well, I guess it still is a regional coffee shop coffee chain. But now there's like Stumptown in, well, all over Seattle, which I find hilarious. Um, there's Stumptown in New York City. It was just acquired by Pete's Coffee. And they're branching out all over. And I was just, you know... Here, we're here at the Hostile Work Environment Studios, which is located in Portland, Oregon. A.K.A. Dennis's basement. Well, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, it's my basement. Literally two blocks down the street is the home of the founder of Stumptown Coffee. I did not know that. Yeah, he he lives, he's our neighbor. He's a super cool guy. You guys hang out? Um, We know each other to say hi to. I wouldn't say that we hang out. All right, that's fair. He's way cooler than I am. (laughs) He probably is. He actually, he's, he's a super nice guy. He does look like he may have escaped a prison recently. Really? Yeah, he's right. got like neck, neck tattoos. To, to, to and, be fair, though, that, that's pretty much everybody in Portland, though. That's our town. Yeah. That is our town. Yeah. So, want to talk about a case today? Yeah. Mark, I hear you've got a case. I do have a case. I'm excited to I'm, talk I'm about I'm excited because I hear it involves spanking. 
it, it may involve a little bit of spanking. All right, lay it on. All right, should we should we get going? All right. Yeah. So I want to tell you the story of Janet. 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 Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Janet. All right. So Janet was hired by a company called Alarm One. So I guess they are a company that does alarm services for residential homes. Makes um, sense. And the way that they sell their alarm systems is basically by using a team of door-to-door salesmen. Wow. Do they like break in to show you that you need an alarm or? That would be genius. Would their systems deter <laughs> door-to-door salespeople? Because that, that would also be genius. That, that, would be like, that would be like the perfect two for one, right? So, um, all right. So Janet's hired as a promotional specialist, um, otherwise known as a salesperson to the rest of us. So that's like um, a euphemism for. So they didn't want it to be called a salesperson, I guess. So it's gotcha. a promotional okay. specialist. It makes it sound like you're an expert at right. Yours, like sanitation engineer, right. exactly. Labor exactly. and employment lawyer. Labor and employment lawyer is yeah. a big one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so after ten days, she's like a rock star, right? So after ten days, she gets promoted to field supervisor. Ooh. Um. So basically, what moving that means? On up. Moving on up. Um. This is in Fresno, by the way. Fresno, California. Fresno. Shout out to Fresno. Hey, Fresno. Hey, Fresno. I have a friend from Fresno. I guess locally they, they call it The No. The No. Yeah, I've heard that. I think that's awesome. That so, pretty much says all we needed to say about Fresno. Fresno. We love you, Fresno. Yeah. Um, so, so after 10 days, she's promoted to this field supervisor position. And with that job, it would now be her responsibility to choose an area to target for the day. For the team of salespeople, or I should say promotional specialists. Promotional right? specialists, yeah. That report to her. And so they'd get in the car in the morning, and she would drive them to the area. And then the team would go door-to-door selling alarm systems. Cool. All right. When a team member found an interesting interested interesting homeowner, that would probably mean that they sit and t- chat for a while. Interested homeowner. Interested, yeah. yeah. The team member would then call Janet. She would come and close the deal. So she'd be oh. local in like her like roving command center, I guess, and <laughs> okay, show up at the house right and close wow. the deal. All right, and Janet would earn a commission on all the alarm systems that her team sold. Gotcha. Um, now, interestingly, even though she was she was hired at the same job as the rest of her team, uh, pretty much everybody who worked for Alarm One was between eighteen and twenty five years old. Oh, Janet was fifty two. Whoa. So. That sort of set her apart, in a sense, from the rest of her team. Well, um, and now she's in management. And now so. she's in management. So when we start looking at the company culture, the company organization, right, and, and kind of their, their MO, like how are, they, how are they operating? Yeah. Before going door to door each morning, there'd be a couple of team meetings that would happen, right? So one team meeting for the supervisors and one for the salespersons. At the salesperson meeting, the supervisor would have left the supervisor meeting and come and would give give some training okay. and basically try to motivate the troops before they go out to sell their alarm systems door to door. Cool. And so as I understand it, these, these salesperson meetings were like pep rallies. So there'd be yelling and chanting and cheering and the way that the case describes this. Yeah. Like, that alarm, certain Alarm 1 offices, it doesn't say that this was specifically coming from Fresno, uh, would use certain time-tested motivational techniques to amp up 
Oh God! And no. motivate the team, whether this was at these meetings or otherwise. It might be at other times during the day. All right. So, first one's actually pretty standard. Bonuses for good performance. Okay, fair right? enough. And award them in front of the team as a motivator. Like, look, look at what Dennis just did. He sold like eighty alarms yesterday. Yeah. And here's a bonus, a spot bonus for Dennis. Right? Gotcha. Pretty good. Pretty safe. Right. And yeah. the good safe motivators end there. Excellent. Excellent, right? So yeah. so then they would force employees to sing in front of the rest of the group. Ooh. Sing what? I don't want to know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but they would force them to, to sing a song in front of everybody else, presumably to humiliate them and get everybody laughing, at least, which I guess motivates people. I don't yeah, because humiliation um, is always a great motivational absolutely. technique. And, yeah. and it just... It's, Gonna go downhill from there. Just okay. All right. Headline: <laughs> um, uh, Pies in the face. Pies in the face. Yeah, they. Somebody would actually bring a pie to some of these meetings, and it didn't say like what the circumstances were that would lead to a pie in the face. It's hard for me to think of any circumstance that would justify that at work. Well, unless um, you're like in slapstick comedy, right? Right. Is it whipped cream? Is it shaving cream? I don't know. Like that makes uh, a yeah, huge difference that's, that's for me. That's true. And. You know, is it like a hot pie that could scald and burn? You know, because it's like fresh out of the oven. You don't want to go face first into mom's apple pie. I'm I'm going to reach here. Yeah. <laughs> and guess it was not a hot pie. Well, probably they're cheap. And they're going to like, you know, Safeway and getting the $4.99 right. pie. Right. Or, or they're just getting a bunch of tins and a can of whipped cream. Squirt in the whipped cream well, that's tin true. and just yeah. pop Movie it in somebody's pie. face. Movie prop Yeah, pie. okay. Yeah. All right. Uh they, not that that makes it a great idea, by the way. No, it's still We're not really advocating that any you do that pie at, in the at, face. At, really, at work or at home, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unless that's your thing, in which case, I mean, go, go for it. Go nuts. Yeah. All We're right. not judgmental. Uh, eating, <laughs> eating baby food. They'd force eating them to baby, eat baby food. food. So, you know. Well, some, you've had kids. You've tasted baby food. Uh, I have. It's not I mean, it's terrible. not. It's not awful. No. But it's usually to blamed. force to force somebody in front of their colleagues to eat it's out a little tin with the Gerber baby on it. Yeah, it's a little it's humiliating. It's a little humiliating. Yeah. Um, but this one goes one step farther, staying on the baby theme. Yeah. Uh, they would force employees to wear diapers. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. Now, it doesn't say anything about, like, rattles and making them, like, act like they're a baby. Yeah. But still. Or act like an old incontinent person. Or that. I mean, I, I'm assuming these, these are adults you're putting in the diaper. I assume they're adult diapers. I assume, I hope, that they're adult diapers. Okay. All right. And as you previewed, yeah, we'll top the list off here. The piece de resistance, so to speak. Spankings. Spankings. All right. Nice. So, as described in the case, these techniques were rampant around the entire company. And some of the salespeople in the Fresno office heard about them and imported many of these techniques to the Fresno office. That, okay, I, I, I got to question the, the um, prudence of the manager who's thinking like, wow, pies in the face, diapers and spankings. That is the culture I want to bring to Fresno. Well, you know, maybe he's a frat guy. You yeah, know, maybe He so. enjoyed doing that with his frat brothers in college. He's in the... What eighteen twenty five year old age range? Could so easily like, be, yeah. Like 
I have a way to bring a positive influence to my new employer. It'll be just like college. We'll all have a blast. Yeah. Note to all of you listeners, if you're thinking like, it will be just like college, we'll have a blast. Stop. That never ends well. Certainly not in the workplace. No. (laughs) All right. And I'm thinking this didn't end well for Atlas Alarm Company. Um, it, it, it's not, not going to end well, go well. All right. Well, actually we'll get there. Okay. So when it came to the spanking, yeah. Uh, the way it seems that they would try to do that or, or do that would be in meetings where they would take an alarm one lawn sign, like maybe from, I'm, I'm trying to picture like, you know, like, like oh. a sign that says like this house is protected by alarm one. Right. They, they to deter the burglars. Right. So that... They put some stakes in a field, yeah. in the in the field, in yeah. the front yard or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's Fresno. It might be. A right. I don't know. I don't know. There's no description of the signs. I don't know if they're, they're hard, if they're cardboard, if they're. But we, we've all seen those we've signs. We've all seen those signs. Right. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. But. Even more awesome is that some of them would take the initiative and go find competitor alarm company signs. Meaning stole them from yards. Stole them from yards. <laughs> Took the competitor's signs and brought them to the motivating meetings so that if you were like failing in your sales, if you were like the lowest person in sales, you would get spanked by the competitor's sign. Oh my God. During nice. your meeting. So Not that I'm condoning spanking with signs, but if you're going to do, do it. Do it Using a stolen competitor's sign is a class way to spank. That's, yeah. Unparalleled yeah. way to spank, I think. All right. Yeah. Um, so so these spankings would occur with some regularity. Uh, and it would happen to nearly all of the employees at some point or another. Um, they would do it if they were late for a meeting. They would do it if they lost a sales competition. Like, really, you don't need an excuse to spank, I guess. And it sounds like they didn't need an excuse. Like they no, just kind of did it for anything. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, every day's a party, every day's a spanky day. That's right. Yeah, every day's a spanky day at Alarm One. Yeah, it's a good tagline. I think we, we just put that. I think we just came up with the title for this episode. Yeah, yeah. I think we did. Every day's a spanky day. All right. So now here here's a here's a question that wasn't resolved for me in what I read in the case. So. As as the manager of this team, I would I would have thought that Janet's exempt from this, but it sounds like maybe just because she wants to be a team member or whatever, she's still participating. And oh. during her tenure as a manager of this team, she was spanked several times. Like a three sixty review of, of spanking. Nice. That's good. Uh, good for Janet. Good for her, right? She just yeah. she wants to fit in. She wants to be part of the team, even right. though she's like twice their age. Right. So it sounds like this had happened a bunch and it, it it's implied to me in what I read that it escalated every time. So the first time maybe it would be like, ha ha ha, I just tapped you on the rear end with a with a lawn sign to like, I'm gonna physically try to hurt your rear end. I'm gonna wow. kick your ass with a lawn sign. Wow. So the last time it occurred, it didn't say how many times, but it was several. Yeah. Janet and four other employees were spanked at the same meeting. Okay. One of the others, Jessica, complained afterwards to Alarm One that she had been injured. Whoa. Yeah. That's a serious lawn sign spanking. That's a spanking. serious lawn sign spanking. She's got a cut and a bruise from the spanking. Holy God. Uh, she was taken to a doctor. 
And after this, hallelujah, Alarm One says, no more spankings at meetings. Wow. But it took that. It took that. It took like a doctor's visit. Right. You know. And a complaint to management. Corporal punishment, probably not a great way to instill workplace discipline. Right. Now, what's unclear to me, and I think we'll come back to this a few times during this conversation, is were they all actively participating in this? Was it... Always one or two, a good question. Was it one or two ringleaders who were kind of like, this is awesome, and everybody's like, ah, um, yes, yeah, sure awesome. it is. Right? Or were they really all condoning it and being a part of it? Right. Those facts don't come out in the case I read. Okay. So it's unclear as to whether in an example like this, Janet and Jessica were were more of the victims in in this kind of instance of somebody else's overzealous use of yeah. the lawn sign or, or were they perpetrators in their own right were they doing it to other people too and it just it just got a little out of hand but they were all active participants participants who sure. who condoned the activity good question totally. so now in the case Janet notes that she too was injured by this spanking. Yeah. Uh, and was denied medical care by the company. Um, that fact, in, in the fact pattern of the case, that's that's expressly denied by the supervisors. And it goes out of its way to say that that's denied. And it doesn't say that anything else is denied, right? So, so this is a fact in dispute, whereas I think everything up okay. to this point are facts that are not in dispute by any of the parties involved. Okay, so we're good with the spankings. We're just not good with the we didn't let you go to the doctor. Which kind of poses a question for me. How do you deny medical treatment to your employee? Were they like, like no, you can't go to the doctor? Or it, like... It's totally unclear to me. And in this case, because Jessica went, and everybody agrees that Jessica went and was permitted to go... Yeah. That's a strange allegation it's, for it's me. A weird it's one, one that yeah. doesn't it doesn't fit the facts, the other facts of the case and that Jessica was allowed to go but Janet was not. It's a little odd. It's a little it's a little odd. Now okay. maybe maybe Jessica was bleeding or it was an obvious injury and and Janet maybe wasn't or maybe they thought she was malingering or that she didn't want to work that day. I mean, there's so many kind, you know, possibilities yeah. here. My advice if you've just spanked your employee and they want to go to see the doctor, you should probably let them. You are a wise man. But thank you. I went to law school just so, so you that could I tell, could... You could relay that exactly. pearl of wisdom to yeah. everybody Three out there. years and $150,000. Well done. Yeah. Well done. You learned something. Money well spent. <laughs> All right. So, so Janet manages to hold on for another month. Okay. And then she resigns. Oh, all right. Okay, but that last month was spank-free. Spank-free month. Because the company had stopped that nonsense. It had instituted a no-spanking policy. <laughs> policy, right? I wonder if they had that, like, acceptable forms of corporal punishment. And unacceptable, unacceptable form. forms of corporal well, punishment. I mean, ha- have you ever prepared a handbook for a client over the course of your career that specifically had a no-spanking provision in it? I have to say no. I, neither have I. <laughs> I may have to start now, though. All right. So so Janet leaves, and then she files a lawsuit. Of course. Or and we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here having this really wonderful conversation. So, so what does she sue over? So she sues. So she sues Alarm One and a bunch of the senior managers 
for sexual harassment, okay, assault, battery, sexual battery, ooh, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead here. I'm going to spare some of the suspense. The case went to the jury. Yeah. And the jury found for Janet, in favor of Janet, on sexual harassment and oh. sexual battery. Okay. Not they, the other stuff? Not the other stuff. Wow. So they found for alarm one on all other counts. Right? On, Interesting. On intentional infliction, on assault and battery. That's funny because that is like the exact opposite of what I would have expected. Me too. And we're going to get there. Yeah. So you're, I think you're, you are considering things in a, in a wise manner as I, I generally think you are wont to do. Thank you. Appreciate so, it. So the jury awarded Janet $500,000. Huh. And imposed a $1 million assessment in punitive damages against Alarm 1. Whoa. California jury, right? Oh, say no more, yeah. Right. But, I mean, but that's, Fresno. That's actually not that much. Central in Valley. Central is Valley jury, a maybe. Different, yeah. But you can spank me with a lawn sign as hard as you want for $1.5 million. I'm making that offer right now. Anybody okay. who wants to take it up. All right. All right. We'll put that out there. We'll see if we get any takers. All right. Um, so, you know. We'll give you the email address right, after the show. Right, right, right. So, um, so you think, like, in, a, in some sense, right, you know, it feels. How is that not sexual harassment, right? I mean, it's she's repeatedly smacked on her ass at work. So, clear sexual harassment, right, Dennis? No. Why not? Well, here's what I want to know. We had Janet. There was another female employee who was spanked, right? Jessica. Yeah. Um, But it sounds like everybody took their turn. With the lawn sign. I did say that. And I'm thinking that there were probably some men there. And it makes me wonder if it was, and here's the magic legal words, because of sex. Because if it was, let's spank the women, that would sound like sex harassment. If it's, let's spank everybody, it just sounds like terrible management, but maybe not sexual harassment. You are correct. Aha. Uh-huh. So. I got one right. You did get this one right. So the court overturned the verdict. Yeah. On both harassment and sexual battery. And in the end, Alarm 1 comes out scot-free. Scot-free. Now, probably they've got legal fees, so well, it was yeah, probably very expensive for them. Yeah, but I'm sure that cost them a six or seven figure legal bill. It, exactly. But on the legal claims themselves, they did not have to pay Janet. Okay. All right, so let's talk. Let's talk this through. Let's back up yeah, a little bit yeah, on the yeah, sex yeah. harassment claim. So, what are what are the couple of key components of a sexual harassment claim? I think there's. I think you touched on what I'm going to call the third one, which right. is, which, uh, which because is of but, sex. Right. I was going to say because of right? right because of sex. All right. But before that, we have to say it's got to be unwelcome. It's got to be unwelcome, and it's got to be severe and pervasive. Severe. Or pervasive. or pervasive, right? Just and just it's to kind be clear, of a right? sliding scale sli- between right. severity and pervasive, right? So, do you want to just mention, like, just in case, right? Like, what does pervasive mean okay. in this context? So, severe means it was bad. Pervasive means it was repeated or continued, and it's one of those things where the more severe it was, the less pervasive it needs be needs to be. 
the more pervasive it is, the less severe it needs to be. So if you have one really serious incident, like a sexual assault, that can be severe and pervasive enough to meet the standard. If you have something that's not very severe, but happens again and again over time, it could be pervasive enough to meet the standard. Like, you know, your boss's daily dirty joke. Exactly, right? So if I, if Dennis and I worked together... And every day I lightly patted Dennis on the ass one time. Not super severe. No, not. But if I, it's every day. Every day it would you're become call pervasive. That pervasive. Now, right. like Dennis said, if there was a sexual assault involved, then it, does, it only has to happen one time. Right. Right. Where the sliding scale then comes in is if it's more severe than a pat on the ass. Right. So maybe it's really explicit pictures that I've put on Dennis's computer screen it doesn't have to be every day. No. If it happens three or four times, it's you've probably, probably met the balance of severity and right. pervasiveness that would be necessary here. Now, yeah. it also has to be the third point for it to be sexual harassment it has to be because of right. sex. Right. So we have to have those three three components here. Right. All right. So let's let's back up. So do we think that this was severe? I where do we think I better better put here because I don't think it's going to match either of these exactly. Right. Where does it fall on the sliding scale of severe and pervasive? Well, it sounds like there was a lot of spanking and it sounds like at least once or twice it got to the level of severity to require medical treatment. I mean, I would say my spidey sense says severe and pervasive. I totally agree. Good. And generally speaking the court agrees with that as well. Okay. All right. But where the court agrees with you and with me, because I think I have the same opinion of yeah. this, it's not because of sex. Because it was happening to everybody. Happened to everybody. Men, women, whoever. Right. It's what we call the equal opportunity sex harasser, if so. If the same person is subjecting both men and women to the exact same treatment, it's hard to prove that it's because of sex. Yeah. Um, we so didn't touch upon another one, though. And was it, was it unwelcome? Well, we did touch on that a little earlier. At least, I mean, maybe not as a as a requirement here, right? But, but we don't know if it was welcome or unwelcome, and that also is going to come into play in a discussion we're going to have very shortly about battery, right? But it makes me wonder since Janet seemed to be a participant, a spank or as well as a spank e, it would suggest to me that there was at least some form of welcomeness, or when we get to battery, consent, right? Exactly. So. So anyway, so all right, so so the the court overturns the verdict on right. sexual harassment. Right. Alarm companies scot free minus legal fees. Totally free now. Now, what one question that I think about is why didn't they win this on summary judgment? Like, why wasn't this why wasn't this put out earlier? Right, it strikes me as as either I mean, alarm one must not have failed to argue the point or else it probably wouldn't have been able to argue it on appeal or you just so maybe got it's a, just a bad trial judge it could have been the, the trial issue. judge had a different opinion than the yeah. appellate court all happens right, all the time let's move on to sexual battery all yeah. right so this one's a little more technical i guess and a little bit less what we normally would talk about in an hr perspective yeah, i was gonna too say many cases I've, of sexual battery I've but never it's, had a sexual it's actually battery one that case. made this case really interesting for me because yeah. it's a little different from a typical case in this regard yeah right so all right so janet brought claims for battery and sexual battery. Okay. The jury found for her on sexual battery, but not, but battery. not battery. That's a problem. 
That's a legal problem. Because sexual battery includes battery. You would have to have battery first. It's a prerequisite. So this ends up becoming like the legal version of a time travel paradox. Oh, nice. You can't have one without the other, right? Like they can't exist in opposition like this on the same plane of existence. Yes, you can't have sexual battery unless you also have battery. Right. And we don't know why the jury said no on battery. But they did. But they did. They said no on battery. Right. And then they said yes on sexual battery. So Alarm 1 argued... Inconsistent verdict. Inconsistent verdict. How is that possible? It's not. It's not possible. Jury blew it. The jury really screwed the pooch on this. It's not... It's not right. Uh, So, wanted to talk briefly about, so what is a battery? Because that's not something we talk about a whole lot in, in employment law. And if I recall my law school stuff correctly, it is a harmful or offensive touching. So, okay, so I would right. say being spanked with a lawn sign is probably a harmful or offensive touching. But, but there's a defense to a battery claim. And that is that if the person who's being battered consented to the battery, it's not a battery tort. Like... Otherwise, every boxing match would be a battery claim. And they're not, because when you get into the boxing ring, you consent to fighting some guy. Exactly. Which you don't do if you're, like, drunk in a bar and get rolled. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, so just to sum it up, right, there needs to be some intent. Right. Okay? But it's not intent to cause injury. It's just intent to commit the act that involved some form of touching, right. essentially. All right? Contact which includes the concept of not being consensual contact. So non-consensual contact with the individual or their effects. So that includes clothing. Clothing, right. Right. And harm, right? So then the battery has to actually cause some harm, right? That can be physical harm or it can be emotional harm or mental harm. And if memory serves, it could also be humiliation in front of others. There's like a whole host of ways to find harm. So I can very easily conceive of a jury having a hard time with this based around Facts that we don't know. Sure. Right? So, so what makes sexual battery different? Well, I, so I don't have the elements for that in front of me, but it, it's got to include a fourth element that is on the basis of or because of sex. Or because it's criminal and not necessarily Title Seven, it could be involving sexual organs or sexual right. characteristics. Now, my understanding in this case is that this is civil sexual battery. Oh yeah, good point. So Thank we're you. not we're not we're going not in there, criminal right? court. We're not in criminal court. This this was not a criminal claim. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So so it's just going to have that extra element that is going to be on the basis of sex or or bordering on a sexual assault or going in that that kind of gotcha. direction okay. relative to just what a regular battery is. Okay. All right. So I have to wonder in this case, did the jury feel when they were considering the battery claim? Was it not? Was it consensual? Right, which is a question we asked ourselves early on. Oh, so you could right? consent to a simple battery and yet not consent to a sexual battery? Maybe, 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 right? But yeah, it 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 doesn't quite work. It, you still have I to still find, find it, for it both weird. Of them, yeah, right? no, totally. Right? It's... And and there's also the question of just generally speaking for battery alone, did the jury feel that it didn't harm her? 
right? Now she's claiming emotional distress and she's claiming that there was an injury, but that's an issue in dispute. Right. That was the, the one issue I said it is actually in dispute in this case. Yeah, and the, so jury, the jury doesn't have to believe her. If they didn't believe her, right, they could still find on sexual harassment and oh, other, totally. on other claims, but they're not going to find on, on battery, but then they can't find on sexual battery. Right, so right. I think So it's still weird. It's very weird. It's a it's a weird it's, case. It's a from weird start case. To it's actually a wonderful case. It really illustrates, I think, a number of legal principles really nicely, and yeah. with a set of facts that make it a page turner. I have to say, oh, totally. for a legal case. So, so we're kind of at the point where is there a takeaway from this case for people? Like, like, what, what, what do we <laughs> now? So many. <laughs> what do we now do differently because of of the Atlas Alarm case? Oh well. We don't spank our employees. We don't spank. Um, we make sure that if we harass our employees, that it's done as an equal opportunity activity. Well, and I'm not right? even so sure about that. I'm. What about the boss who sends a dirty joke via email to his entire team every day? Men and women both. Does that make it okay? Because it's, Of course not. And why not? Because we want to be good people. Well, not I mean, only there's that. Just, I mean, there's not right. I mean, it's just right. There's standards of decency in the workplace. But is that like a valid defense to the sex harassment claim to say like, well, you know, he sent it to men too, so the women don't have a sex harassment claim? Well, I think I think it might be. But I also think it might not be if the impact of the behavior treats men and women differently. And I've seen this argument made before. Oh, I see. So we're going down down a disparate impact kind of well, it's argument. not really disparate well, it's, impact. But it's, it's on it's on the edge of that. It's it's on the edge of that. But the basic theory is that it is not as offensive or offensive at all, or as unwelcome at all to the male recipients of that type of behavior as it would be to the female recipients of that type of behavior, and therefore the impact is because of sex. Right. It's an interesting, it's it's an interesting way to get there. So my point here is don't think you're home free. Oh, right. The lesson from this is because somebody does some crappy thing to both men and women. Right. That you're probably not safe. That's never a good thing to, to, to rest on. No. In the end, it might be all you have in some cases, right. like this one. But as like employment lawyers, we don't want to have to go in front of the judge or jury and say like, "Oh, it's okay that they spanked people because they spanked, spanked both everybody. men and women." No, no, don't make us do that, please. What else do we take away from this? Pie in the face, good idea. Oh well, all sorts of motivational techniques that are not actually motivational that might actually lead to a battery. My, right? it's Tying still, the face is a battery. It, right? it, yeah, total Forcing battery. a diaper on somebody is still a battery if they right if it's not consensual, right? I mean, if it could have some emotional harm, I mean, it's like oh, totally, right? Like there's there's all sorts of conduct that we take away from this case that are things you should not do. Things you should not do. Normally, when I hear somebody making the intentional infliction of emotional distress claim, that's where I kind of like roll my eyes and go like, yeah, that that's sort of like the last desperate. You know, when you have nothing else, you start pleading intentional infliction of emotional distress. Except this is like the best case ever. And it's funny, I the jury didn't find intentional infliction of emotional distress. But why else would you put somebody in a diaper unless you were intending to inflict emotional distress? Right. As an emotional distress claim, 
That's a hard claim to make, right? From Terrible. a legal, the standard is you, so high. Have you ever lost an IIED I claim? I don't think I've ever lost that claim in my Never career. lost a claim. Because, because it's got to be outside the bounds of, of what any reasonable person would consider like right. decent in society. Like It's got to be so outrageous. It's got to be crazy. And you have to actually intend to inflict emotional distress. It's not enough to go out and do crazy stuff. You actually have to do that crazy stuff with the intent of making somebody sad or embarrassed or hurt. And this case is that. You're doing a crazy thing for the purpose of embarrassing somebody. Depending on how it's done, it gets close. It gets really close if it's not even on the other side of that line. I think it's on the other side. And yet the jury disagreed. Right. The jury disagreed. I think you could argue it depending on facts we don't know. Yeah. Right. How is it done and who, right. It just kind of, if it's done to everybody, are you really going to try to argue that it's intentionally inflicting emotional distress on the entire workforce? Well, and Especially it doesn't if the have workforce to be. is driving it in the first place. If you're intending to inflict it upon Janet, who's the plaintiff. But who, who's, right. It's the company's intent. Yeah. It's, but it's individual. It gets really complicated actually in oh, that totally. regard. It's a close call for me. But the fact that, like, I don't think in my career I've said that that's a close call on emotional distress. Yeah. On intentional affliction of emotional distress. Let me clarify that. Yeah. I never have that. I and mean, this, this would... Up this until would this, close. the only case I've ever seen where I really felt it was a winner was a case where a store employee was um, accused of theft... And the store detective brought the accused employee, put her in a windowless room, and berated her for hours because he thought that by inflicting emotional distress, he would get her to confess. So it really was. <laughs> oh, that is, that's, that's right? it. I mean, right. And there, there's all sorts, there's other tort claims, there's false yeah, imprisonment, totally. there's other stuff in there. And, like, and there yeah. was, and she yeah. sued under all of those, but she won on intentional infliction of emotional distress. And it helped to get the store detective's explanation of the interrogation technique. And why he It's did basically it. yeah. like he wanted to waterboard her. And the whole purpose of it was to torture her into a confession. That's what, you know... Intentional infliction usually entails. And that's close to what Alarm One did here, right? Yeah, pretty close. So have we have we spanked this? We've we've spanked this a plenty. I think the the number one takeaway is don't do that. Don't do any of those things. Don't do any of those things. Don't be that employer. You'll probably be good. All right. We're gonna take a break and we will be back in just a minute. Mark, this podcast is breaking our bank accounts. How do our listeners help support us? They can go help us by supporting our Patreon campaign at www.patreon.com slash H-W-E. That's H-W-E for hostile work environment. Yeah. Dennis, what is that money going to go to help us with? Besides our beer fund, which is the lion's share, it also goes to support our webpage, the production costs, cover the cost of this wonderful microphone that we're recording on and allow us to keep bringing you this brilliantly wonderful, entertaining and informative podcast. And we appreciate it. And we're back on the hostile work environment with Mark and Dennis. Um, 
So the last episode, if you listen to episode one, and you should, it's awesome. We had a case that involved religious accommodation and the number of the beast. And after we recorded that episode, we heard from one of our listeners about other cases that involve the number of the beast. And we wanted to just add those to the collective wisdom. So Mark, what have you got? All right. So I've got a great one here. So this, this was a question that these are, this is out of Oregon actually. And, uh, uh, this was a question put to Boley, which is our state version of the EEOC, is the Bureau of Labor uh, of the EEOC, sorry, uh, uh, the Bureau of Labor and Industries here right. in Oregon. So the question that was put in front of them is, last week, our employee Gerhard told his supervisor he needed Friday the 7th off for his religious observance of the beheading of John the Baptist, Monday the 10th off for the Nativity of Mary, and Tuesday the 11th off for the exaltation of the Holy Cross. This employee has never made a religious request before, and the supervisor suspected he was actually taking a long weekend for a fishing trip, but she granted the leave anyway. Since this kind of request may come up again, there seems to be a different feast or holy day every day of the year. What are our obligations as an employer? And what kind of proof can we require from the employee? Those are good questions. I That's like a that. great question. I love the way it's worded. So yeah. I'm going to selectively read part of the response here, which I right. think is dead on. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so I'm going to jump in here a few paragraphs in. Since your supervisor already approved Gerhardt's time off, your best bet's just to give the employee the benefit of the doubt with regard to this particular absence. Of course, he may indeed have been fibbing. And no. fishing, right? Well, yeah, right. And so, fishing. And fishing. But this is this is this is the official response here, right? So that's right. Why, right. So we're no experts on Christian feasts and holidays, but our research indicates that this year the named holy days fall on August 29th, September 8th, and September 14th, respectively, if Gerhard's church goes by the Julian calendar oh, God. or September eleventh, twenty-first, and twenty-seventh, if his church uses the Gregorian calendar. Either way, either we've kind of caught it. Either way, yeah. Sorry, Gerhard. Sorry, Gerhard. So either way, as this continues, the dates don't match up. But it's possible that Gerhard's church recognizes these events on different dates. In the future, you do have the right to request an employee provide you a note from his priest or minister or rabbi to verify his religion and clarify whether it's a tenet of that religion that he may not work on particular days. Nice. And I think that would have solved the problem here in the case of Gregor and the yeah. the fishing trip. So get a priest's note, and we'll consider your request. Right. Nice. All right, Dennis, you you've got one too. I've got one. Um, this is out of the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is East Coast, right? Am I making that up? I think you're making that up. Where's the Fourth Circuit? Where is the Fourth Circuit? Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll put it on the show notes. It uh, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because we don't care where this is from. It's still awesome. Maybe Mid-Atlantic. I think maybe it's mid I mean, it still doesn't matter. That would be the East Coast, right? Mid-Atlantic? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It has to do with a coal mine. So I'm thinking West Virginia. All right. So... Console Energy ran a coal mine, and they implemented something called a biometric hand scanner system. How old is this? 
It's from 2012. Okay, so it's not that old, right? I'm just thinking like... Yeah, so biometric... I don't think I've seen too many Biometric hand scanner, total sci-fi stuff. You put your palm on this screen, and this thing goes... And then it reads your handprint, and it can tell who you are. And that's what they would use to clock people that in and out. so not what I think of when I think of, of coal mines. Coal mines, right? right? So they implemented this. You put your right hand... Onto this screen, it reads your palm print and clocks you in and out. So there was an employee by the name of Beverly Butcher. I love that name. That's a great name. Beverly Butcher. Beverly Butcher. Who, by all accounts, was a good employee. No record of performance or discipline issues. But who happened to be a lifelong evangelical Christian. She was also an ordained minister and associate pastor. Now... Beverly, Bev to her friends, <laughs> believed that... Do you, partici- do you know that? You know I know, that? it's right here. <laughs> believed that participating in this hand scanner system was a threat to their religious convictions. And and I read that and I was like, how? Yeah, no, like how? I, you're going to have to illuminate this one for yeah. me. It all has to do with the mark of the beast. What? So Bev (laughs) understood the biblical book of Revelation to mean that the mark of the beast brands followers of the Antichrist, allowing the Antichrist to manipulate them, and feared that by using this hand-scanning system that they would be marked with the mark of the beast, and thus refused to use it. Interesting. I, yeah, I, I'd want to know more about the 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 doctrine behind that because it's not. It doesn't quite track for me. It's in the Book of Revelations, Mark. I'm, I'm going to have to brush up on yeah. my Revelations. It, me, me too. I'm 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 kind of into this now, and I'm going to have to do some follow up. So here's what I found interesting about this. So there were employees who couldn't use the hand scanning system because get this coal mine they had injuries to their right hand. Or in a coal mine, I'm thinking maybe they no longer had a right hand. Or all five fingers. It was also possibly West Virginia. So there were issues with some people being able to use the hand scanner. They weren't forced to. They could either enter their employee ID number or they could use their left hand. Well, that sounds like a pretty easy fix. Well, they didn't offer too much of that to Butcher. What they did offer was to allow Butcher to use the left hand on the scanner. And this I didn't know. Because in the book of the Revelation, apparently the mark of the beast only goes onto your forehead and right hand. And they thought by offering up your left hand for scanning, you avoided the whole mark of the beast then. Apparently that wasn't good enough. Butcher quit under protest went off to our friends at the EEOC and filed a lawsuit alleging religious discrimination or a failure to accommodate. A jury awarded Butcher $150,000 in punitive damages and $436,000 in front and back pay and put in a permanent injunction against the company um, requiring them to refrain from other violations of Title VII's reasonable accommodation provision. Believe it or not, Console, the coal mine, appealed, 
argued that it didn't fail to accommodate because it offered up the left hand. Which was, in theory at least, it was a religious accommodation because their reading of the doctrine was that the left hand didn't matter. But the problem is, you just named it. Their their reading reading of of it. Right, exactly. We were going there, right? So why wouldn't they just let her type in a code like they let other people do? I don't know. Here's the other great argument they made, is that it didn't violate the religious beliefs because it would not leave a physical mark on the employee's hand. Thus, there was no mark of the beast. So basically, it was like so saying... Their, again, their interpretation. Their interpretation of religion. There has to be a physical mark as opposed to a yeah. more spiritual mark. The court disagreed. They found that Butcher's belief was sincere that participating in the scanner system, with or without a tangible mark, was a showing of allegiance to the Antichrist. I'm, so I'm trying to figure out which, who, which employer is stupider, right? <laughs> the, one, the, one, the one from last episode with the 666 button? Or this one. Well, I mean, this was so easy to accommodate. They were already doing it for other employees. You know, I was right there with you. I was totally right there with you until I thought about it a little bit. And I was like, why does a coal mine want a hand scanner to clock people in and out? And then it occurred to me. It's to prevent time card fraud. If you have to like physically scan some part of your body, and it doesn't even matter what, as long as it's unique to you, your buddies can't clock you in and out. Which, having represented one or two, you know, blue collar environments where people clock in and out, that's a problem. It's like I text or call my buddy and say, like, "Hey, Mark, I'm going to be late to work. Clock in for oh, me." Well, but let's back up for a second, yeah, because right? I've been in that circumstance as well. Sure, where time clock fraud is all over the place. all over the place it's rampant all right but in this case they were granting that accommodation to other people yeah and that's adding, where you adding one more to the list would probably not have brought the coal mine down it wouldn't have brought the coal mine down no so so, so I, maybe that still keeps last week's employer <laughs> with the buttons maybe. maybe that makes them slightly more right and remember again these accommodations on the religious side, as, as opposed to the disability side, and we're going to have some great stories on the oh, disability yes. side in future episodes. Right? Totally. The standard is so much lower yeah. right, on the religious side, and they still couldn't do it. No. These are obvious cases that are easy right, to totally accommodate. Easy. Right? These weren't undue hardships for them. You kind of have to go out of your way to not accommodate these two. That's right. So... Lesson for everybody on religious accommodation. I love the follow-up. And I love that we got follow-up even though we haven't even broadcast that episode yet. That's particularly amazing. But, you know. It, it, it may help that we've told some of our friends about it. It may be. <laughs> I was going to say, it just shows the devotion of our listeners. It does. Yeah. It does. Anyway. So, I think that wraps it up for this episode of Hostile Work Environment. I think it does. Mark, any parting words? I don't think so. I hope everybody had a good week and a good upcoming week. And we will be back next week with another episode of we will Hostile be Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. Episode three on the way. Listen up and um, thank you. All right. Take care. Peace out.